Dean, thanks so much for having me over to your home and welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thanks for coming by. So we are... I thought you were going to run though. <laughs> you know, I, I really wanted to since it's only about two miles away, but uh, carrying all this recording equipment would have been a challenge. I mean, you live at the top of a pretty big hill. Um, I imagine just running here from your home isn't, I mean, isn't exactly easy per se. No, it's not a, it's not a great way to finish a long run. Actually, it's a really great way to finish a long run. But yeah, yeah strength builder. But if you're, yeah. uh, if you're carrying, I mean, in my case, this would be, you know, probably a good 10, 15 pounds of, of a equipment up uh, up the hill it wouldn't be so pleasant but yeah uh we're what like four days removed from your western states finish yeah because you finished on sunday morning who's counting uh yeah, yeah who's, who's <laughs> counting um just i mean take me take me through how you're feeling right now less than mm. a week removed from the race well i'm feeling um you know somewhat conflicted i mean i'm um you know i finished western states and i'm trying to keep that in perspective because uh, just finishing that race is an accomplishment that most people people can't even fathom um from a performance standpoint you know i'm i'm let down because i had very high expectations this year i mean i still think i have a sub 20 finish in me and you know i thought it was in that kind of shape and it just didn't go that way at all and um you know, I was disappointed in that. And I took a fall as well, crossing uh, El Dorado Creek and kind of slashed my shin open. And at that point I thought, you know what, just drop out. Come on, it's not your year. And as I was running up, I uh, hooked up with Carl Hoagland and we kind of chatted and I just got this renewed kind of drive that, look, finish, you know, run 30 hours, just keep moving for 30 hours. You're either going to get, you're going to miss the cutoff or you're going to, end up in a medical tent, but just keep moving forward for 30 hours, commit to that. And I said, I will. And from that point forward, I just never looked back and just kind of put my head down and, and grunted through it. I, I mean, how long was States on your radar? You were a late addition to the race. You got pulled off the wait list just a few weeks prior to the start. So like, take me through the the couple of months leading up to Western states, were you training with it in the back of your mind or at any point was there this, or when you found out you were in the race, was it a no shit moment and you had to cram in whatever you could in the last, in the last few weeks? I mean, obviously not your first rodeo, but take me through the, the weeks preceding the race. You know, I, I tried to think I was going to get into states, but I, in hindsight, you know, you, when you don't have a confirmed entry, you're always hedging in the back of your mind. Like, God, do I really want to spend five hours today running when I might not get in? It's all for naught kind of thing. So that was going on quite a bit. Um, and we talked briefly before the interview, but when I got in, I'm like, oh, there's a hundred K like in a couple of days, I better go run that hundred K. So I ran the, um, uh, the Bishop High Sierra hundred, uh, and did well. I mean, I was top five. I think I came in fourth place overall and felt great. It was really hot. I knew that good heat training, zero, uh, coverage. I mean, there's no shade whatsoever. So got beat up by the heat and did just fine. Uh, I thought, okay, that's good states training. Maybe it was too close, Mario. I mean, you never know what, what it is. It gives you, you know, it ends up being a bad race, but it was a bad race. Well, I mean, take me through the weekend itself. It was your first time back to States in over 10 years when you arrived in Squaw on race weekend. And I don't know if you had been there as a spectator or in other capacities, like in the years prior, but what was the overall like feeling when you, when you arrive, knowing that I'm going to step on the starting line here at 5am on Saturday morning. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was very exciting. I mean, I haven't been there in nine years. So to go back and see what this race has grown into really impressed me. Um, obviously there are no more entrants, uh, this year than there were nine years ago, 
but there were, I seem to be a lot more spectators and crew, a lot more people involved. And I think that's largely uh, a result of it being so hard to get into states that mm-hmm. if you get in, you know, you're going to bring out all the resources, uh, have a good crew, have good pacers to make sure you finish because this might be your one shot at it. So a lot of buzz around that, a lot of international participants. And, you know, what it'd be interesting for someone to shadow me, like for you to shadow me on the kind of the Western States experience, but people see me and it's, I I don't know why I'm kind of visible and kind of a magnet. And so many people throughout the course of the weekend said to me, you're the reason I'm here. I mean, I kept hearing that over, like I read your book, you're the reason I'm here. You're the reason I'm here. And, you know, Kim and Kim Gaylord and Topher Gaylord who paced me, you know, heard the same thing. I mean, we run by people. I don't even know how they recognize me. It's the middle of the night. I've got a headlamp on and they're like, Hey Dean, you know, just, I want to let you know, you're the reason I'm here. And yeah, it just, I wasn't anticipating that. It was, yeah. Yeah. And I want to hit pause on that and dig into it here in a little bit, because I, I do think, you know, and we talked about this earlier before the interview as well. I mean, you know, ultra running as a sport is growing in, in popularity and the number of events um, is increasing every year. But in terms of, of visibility, I, I would argue that when you say ultra running, to the average person on the street or the average runner, one of the first names that comes to mind is probably going to be Dean Karnazes um, for your book and for all the different things that you've done over the years, not necessarily the race results that you've put up recently. And, and, and we'll get into that. I want to stick on states for a little bit longer because you had emailed me before this interview and I asked you how states went and you said it was, it was interesting and agonizing um, and it didn't line up with your own expectations. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. What was so, what was so interesting and, and agonizing about it? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that, again, I, I thought it was in good shape and, um, you know, from the very first step, I, something didn't feel right. I'm like, what is wrong here? I was, you know, my heart rate was racing. There's just a lot of things that didn't feel right. And it just got, I thought, you know, you felt this way before, you'll push through it. And I got to uh, Robinson Flat at uh, mile 30 and it was just kind of still at that same point. Like you're, you're kind of, you're kind of bonking, but you're kind of not like you're going to turn this around. You've been here before. And then, like I said, when I took that tumble at mile, I don't know, it's like mile 52, uh, then it just got progressively worse from there. So that was kind of my race experience. Uh, you know, the, the, it was agonizing in that, uh, I, I just couldn't push any faster. It, it was humiliating in that, you know, I, I, you know, when you're just going slow, when you're looking at your watch going, my splits are so slow and I'm trying my hardest. Like I'm, I'm pushing as hard as I can. And I'm just not getting anywhere. Um, it was glorious in that, you know, I got so much love along the course. I mean, people see me and they get so excited. Uh, I think because it's obviously because of my book, um, ultra marathon man, which, you know, I keep remembering is sold, you know, close to a million copies uh, worldwide. So it's not just a, um, you know, kind of a, a book here in the U.S., but a lot of people from overseas read it. So I got that all along the way, which is, is it's fantastic. It'd be more fantastic if I was feeling great. You know, I was high-fiving and cheering. And instead I'm saying, hey, you know, hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm kind of destroyed this race. It's killing me, you know. And, and people say, well, you've come on, you've done this so many times. Like, this is a piece of cake for you. <laughs> they can't relate to it. Like, yeah, I've done it, you know, uh, 11 other times, but um, it, there's nothing easy about this race. Well, I mean, you're also 55 years old now, which is, I mean, at least 10 years since you last did it. Um, and even more, I mean, you were early 30s when you first ran Western State. So how much of that is 
that feeling of, oh man, I'm going so slow right now. I I can't believe this. Like, how much of that is, uh, do you think is tied to maybe just the fact that, all right, you're getting older, maybe you can't go as fast now and you're comparing yourself to the Dean Karnazes of 10 or 20 years ago? Yeah, I think I, I, I guess I'm repressing that, Mario. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not ready for that reality because I still feel like I'm, I'm really strong and I work out twice as hard as I used to just to kind of keep that same base level of fitness, but I am really working hard. Um, not just on, uh, my running, but overall fitness. I mean, I'm less interested in being, you know, hella fast as being hella fit. Like I really want to, um, be physically strong, um, in every regard, I want my body to perform its best. And I feel like it's at that level, but you're right. I mean, uh, you know, the first year I ran States, I was so naive. Um, my longest training run was 30 miles. I'll never forget. I ran 30 miles. It was across the golden gate. It was prime. I lived in San Francisco down to Sausalito. It was primarily on a footpath. It wasn't even in the trails. And I went to States on that base, you know, the longest training run, maybe 50 to 60 mile base. Um, no quality, nothing. And I finished in 21 hours. So, you know, my younger self, obviously, <laughs> it was maybe a little stronger. Yeah. What about your experience at Western States this time around was familiar to you or most familiar to you? You know, it's funny. I remember a lot of the trail. So I remember um, the heat. It was very hot this year. I remember the the dust in certain places. Um, I remember the aid stations. All that kind of stuff was was familiar. Um, you know, the the people, the the crowds along the way were unfamiliar. There's so many more people along the course. And again, you know, people recognize me. That was kind of unfamiliar. Um, and good and bad. I mean, you know, I'm kind of a benchmark, <laughs> which kind of sucks. Not for the fastest, but just kind of like, hey, I beat Dean Carnassus. That's like, because I'm kind of a known entity, you know, big quant- deal. Yeah, like, hey, I beat Dean, and that kind of sucks because when you have a bad race, you know, you hear people in the background like, oh, he's beating Dean. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> yeah, you beat Dean. I, I, you know, I gotta live with that reality. Yeah. You talked a little bit about how the races change, just the amount of people on the course. I mean, only three seventy-five or so still get in, which which hasn't changed, but the the popularity is just insane. I mean, you've got people from, you know, overseas who are trying to get in, people who are entering the lottery year after year after year, just hoping to get a spot at States. And then just, I mean, I've been up there the last few years on race weekend and yeah, it's still really small, but if you're in Squaw Valley, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday morning of, of the race, like it, you can feel the energy. It's, you know, it's palpable and it's, it's really exciting. So, I mean, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. How does a race like Western States continue to maintain like this grassroots feel that it's known for um, and the, the smallness that attracts a lot of people to ultra running as, you know, the sport itself just continues to grow and evolve? You know, I think Western States will always have that element because of, like you said, there's 375 people um, compared to like UTMB where it's, you know, there's thousands of people, um, you know, you might say that that has lost its grassroots. I mean, it's still a glorious race and it's, it's um, you know, very unique. Um, for Western states, I think that one thing that I have noticed um, really emphasized over the years is just the winners, you know, who's winning this race, um, the top 10, and they are insane athletes. I would never discount who these, you know, what they're all about, but still, 
Uh, most of the people that go to Western states are in it for their own experience. It's running. It's it's not a spectator sport necessarily. It's a participant sport. So, um, you know, emphasizing the people that are making sub 24, you know, that are or even making the cutoff sub 30, um, kind of those stories. Like, you you know, you, you've been involved in... Um, media for so long. I mean, look at the way they they broadcast um, Ironman. It's about the race. Sure, it's about the guys in front, but they're those human interest stories that really personalize it. And I think that um, let's not just focus on the on the winners. You know, let's give them uh, due recognition that they deserve, but let's pick up on some of the other stories too. The people that travel from overseas and the families they bring, you know, and how it's been their dream for 20 years just to get that buckle. Those are the interesting stories I think will you know keep it um, real, if you will. Do you think the the increased competitiveness and depth at the front of the field in ultra running in general, not just at Western states, is a good trend for the sport right now? I think it's super exciting. I think that um, it, it's really changed a lot in that regard. I mean, even my, my son Nicholas came and crewed for me. He's not a runner. He's very removed from the sport. Uh, you know, he knows about what I do, but he's not engaged in it. You know, he's been to Western States a lot of times when he was a little kid. And, you know, he came back out to crew for me and he was just, you know, seeing it through his eyes. He was just like blown away. Like, this is fantastic. Um, you know, you've got these guys, you know, he's like, dad, a guy finished in, you know, just over 14 hours. I'm like, that's insane. So there's that element. And then there's, you know, going across or around the track with him, you know, in, in 27 hours, he's like, dad, I'm just so proud of you. I mean, you really stuck it out and seeing other runners just destroyed on that infield. So there's that element as well. I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of excitement with the young runner. Well, I shouldn't say young because not all of them are really young. Um, but I think that um, just the overall growth and the spirit of the sport uh, needs to be still front and center. I want to stay on Western States for just a little bit longer. I know you had said that you were disappointed to finish in 27 hours. Take me to hour 24 of your race this past weekend. And when the clock ticked over to 24.01, were you aware of that moment? And what were you feeling at that point where you still had three hours to go? I, I, I got to be honest. I wasn't even aware. I, I, I just, you know, when I got across the, the river, um, I kept, I kept in the back of my mind, just thinking, you know, that you, you can pull off sub 24. You've rallied before, like it's not that far to reach. And I just said, just do the best you can. And it just wasn't coming together. So at that point, um, I just stopped looking at my watch altogether. And, you know, Kim Gaylord, who was pacing me at that point, kept laughing because I, I just thought, Kim, are we going to get in before the cutoff? She's like, Carna, you got three hours, you got four hours. Don't worry about it. And I was just thinking the whole time, get in before the cutoff. Yeah. Uh, last question about state specifically, how hungry are you to go back now and avenge your 27 hour finish from, from this past weekend and just be able to walk away with, I mean, not that you're not proud of your performance this past weekend, but with time that you're happier with. Uh, I'm uh, very motivated to avenge. Yes. I, I definitely want to go back. I definitely want to improve on my time. I will improve on my time, but I also want to go back to support the event um, you know, I, this might sound selfish, but I just think it's a really good thing for me to be there because people see me and they like, like I said, if you've, you know, if you first learned about this race, reading some guy's book, you never knew. And you're like, wow, I want to try this. And 10 years later, you're there and there's that guy. It, it's just special to people. And I think I owe it to people. I owe it to my fans. So, um, yeah, I want to, I want to run a faster race and I just want to keep supporting this event. 
I'd love to dig into this a little bit more now, just your role in the sport of ultra running and how it's evolved over the past couple of decades. So, I mean, 20 plus years ago, I mean, you're running faster, more consistently than you are now. And, you know, the sport was in a different place at that time and you were placing higher in these races. You've won, you know, bad water. You've had sub 20 hour finishes at, at Western States. And I mean, you know, to no fault of your own, that's harder to do as you get older and you get into your fifties and, and 55. And at some point you kind of, you know, let that go. But as we talked about, you still are, you know, one of the most recognizable people in the sport, if not the most recognizable person in the sport. So, you know, just let's talk through how that's evolved over the past, you know, couple of decades as you've gone from, you know, athlete who's competitive at these races to, you know, that's never, I mean, you're still competitive, especially with yourself, but now, as you said, you're kind of more of that figurehead for the sport that people still look to and are inspired by, um, even though you're not, you know, cranking off sub 20 hour finishes like on the regular anymore. Wow. There's a lot of elements to that question, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, um, uh, you know, how have I, how have I gained my notoriety? Uh, I think it's not on the race course. I think it's off the race course. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't know the kind of things I've done. I mean, I've served as a U.S. athlete ambassador on two sports diplomacy envoys. Um, I've run across the country on a nationally televised TV program. It's these sort of efforts, you know, the 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days wasn't just some solo guy out there. I mean, we organized it so others could come with me and thousands of people joined in these marathons. So I've done very visible things like that as well as raced. Um, and I think um, not all of my accomplishments have been on the race course, probably just as many have been off the race course and that's grown an audience. Now in the ultra community, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have no idea, especially the kids that are coming up. I sure. shouldn't say kids, the younger folks that are coming up, you know, through their collegiate runners. You know the whole thing. I mean, you're mm -hmm. you're immersed in that in that world. They probably have no idea who I am, or they might say, "Oh yeah, my dad." You know, my dad read his book, kind of thing, or oh, my mom watched him on TV. But I think it's it's those, all those elements that have kind of boosted my notoriety. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> it's nothing I plan. And people say, you know, oh, you've got a great publicist and, you know, you're such a good promoter. I don't have a publicist. You know, I, I do, I say yes a lot of times to invitations, but I really don't do anything beyond beyond that as far as promotion. Yeah. So going back to the, the early days, I mean, you've been a North Face sponsored athlete for how long now? 22 years. 22 years. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. in, that's incredible. Um, yeah. You know, that's some incredible longevity to, to have you know, that sort of relationship with, with a company and, and with a brand, you know, and that stuck with you as your own career has evolved. So, I mean, going back to the very beginning, like when you left your marketing job, um, in San Francisco and you were like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to train and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue these ultra endurance events and I'm going to try to make my living as Dean Carnazas runner. I mean, how deliberate were you in those early days of recognizing that my race results aren't going to be enough? I need to spark something else in those who are going to be inspired by my journey. I, I recognized that very early on. And um, I'll, I'll tell you how I recognized it um, through Ann Trayson, who's someone I love, who I admire. We're really, really good friends, but I met her very early on. And, you know, she was this icon. I mean, she was like God to me. And I thought, you know, she's probably doing really well. She's probably got a great life. 
And she said, you know, I'm, I'm groveling kind of thing. I mean, she, you know, it was kind of like, I wish Nike would pay me more. I mean, they're not even helping me out that much. And I thought, my God, if someone at that level, I'll never get to that level. And if someone at that level can't make a go of it in this sport and you want to make a go of it in this sport, you're going to have to do a lot more than, than win races or even just race. You're going to have to figure out other revenue streams to make a go of it, especially if you want to immerse your, you know, com- commit your life to this, which I really did. All right, we're going to take a quick break because this episode's sponsor has an important reminder for you. It's time to start thinking about your fall race schedule, especially if you're considering a half marathon or marathon. I know for me, I am heading to Richmond, Virginia to run the Markel Richmond Half Marathon as part of Anthem Richmond Marathon Weekend on November 10th, and I would love for you to join me. It'll be my first time to Richmond. I've heard nothing but amazing things about the event, and I'm super excited to be a part of it. I'm going to be hosting a shakeout run. I'll be at the expo. I might record an episode of the podcast and then I'll be running the race. So I'd love for you to join me. Um, Why Richmond? It's a great running town. Uh, The event provides amazing course support, enthusiastic spectators, beautiful views of the river, charming neighborhoods, and hopefully perfect fall weather. Um, If you're running the marathon, one of the best parts about Richmond is it's mostly flat, it's super fast, and it ends with a downhill finish on the scenic James River. Um, After you cross the finish line, regardless of what event you run, you'll be rewarded with plenty of unique finisher swag and a rockin' post-race party. Um, Richmond was recently named a top 20 Boston qualifier. It's known to produce PRs for runners of all speeds. Runner's World uh, even dubbed it as America's friendliest marathon. So if you're looking for something shorter uh, than the full marathon distance, they've got you covered. You can join me in the Markel Richmond Half Marathon or even the VCU Health 8K all of which take place on the same day. That is November 10th. So you got plenty of options. Use the code MORNINGSHAKEOUT when you sign up and save 10 bucks on your entry fee. I hope to see you in Richmond on November 10th. Now let's get back to the show. What were some of the first steps that you took in that process? Well, I didn't quit my day job, first of all. Um, I aligned myself with the North Face. I'm like, I need a sponsor that's consistent with me. Like, I'm not a fast runner. I'm not a racer. I'm not a Nike guy. And I convinced the North Face that you know, we have a right to be on the trail. The North Face has a right to be on the trail. Like Nike doesn't really. They're, they're you know, they're, they, they belong on the track. Mm-hmm. Give them that. The North Face has earned the ability and the right to be on the trail. Let's, let's, let's design a line of trail running stuff. And they didn't see that vision. Um, they thought, you know, um, trail shoes are big boots. <laughs> you know, backpacks are heavy. There's no, what's a hydration pack kind of thing. And I said, this is the future. People are going fast and light, fast and light. And, and people are going longer distances with running. And there's this race called the Western States. And it's, you know, it's magical, this race. And they just bought into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we see the sport of ultra running evolve at the front of the pack, and we see faster runners getting into it, more brands getting into it now, and prize purses uh, popping up at, at these events. And it is becoming more of a, a professional sport um, at the front of the field. And you have more people who are like, that's what I want to do. I want to try to make a living as an ultra runner. What advice would you give those younger folks who are just getting into the sport and want to do it for a long time and be able to focus on it? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I'll, you know, I will say I'm, I'm very proud for elevating um, the, you know, the, the uh, visibility of ultra running and bringing more people into the sport because I think now more people can make a living in the sport which is great. I mean, you brought that up before. I thought it was just impossible to make a living in this sport. 
now there's a lot more opportunity. There's a lot more corporate um, uh, entities coming in with with you know real sustainable cash for for good runners. So I would say to someone, you know, um, as always when I give advice, I mean, you know, start with the Oracle at, at <laughs> I'm Greek, the Oracle of Delphi, and you know, know thyself. So if you just love to race and you want to win races, damn it, race. I mean, there's, you can make a career of it. You've, you're going to have to work your ass off and it's going to be very competitive. But if that's what you love to do, um, you know, if you, if you love marketing, you know, get a job in the endurance sports industry and marketing. There are a lot of legit jobs now. And a lot of employers are willing to let you race and train. They'll even, some employers will even pay for your entry fee and send you to races. So, you know, you can go that route, but really look inside yourself and say, what, what is it I'm really passionate about most? And, and then, you know, um, direct your career in that, in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I'd argue that a lot of folks who've gotten into the sport are inspired by your story and continue to be. Um, how important is that element of, of storytelling and sharing one's journey with others who, you know, may follow you for a while, but may also start buying the products that you're endorsing for a given brand. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, so many people say to me that, um, you know, my, my book inspired them. And I think, you know, listening to their story, I'm like, wow, you know, your story inspires me. So I think that, um, you know, I brought a lot of people into the sport and, you know, regarding what was it? Let's back up on that question. Mm Mm-hmm. If there's too much to it, can you ask? Yeah, it was a good question. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Well, how just how important is you know for for an athlete who yeah. you know let's say more competitive athlete who wants to make a living in the sport as mm-hmm. a as a runner um, mm-hmm. and be able to focus most of their time and attention and energy on that. Um, as we talked about, it's not just about performance and putting up big results because only a handful of people can can do that and have it be something that's sustainable. How important is it to be relatable to the other runners who are behind them in the field, who are going to follow them for the duration of their career and just resonate with their story on some level. Yeah, I think it's very important to establish a brand mm-hmm. um, if you're a runner. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a big visible brand. It needs to be you, whatever that brand might be, and then be authentic to that brand. You're going to attract a certain type of person with your personality, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what it's like. It might be controversial. That's fine. Um, you know, you might be edgy, you might be arrogant. If that's who you are, if you're arrogant, be arrogant. You mm-hmm. you have fans that are, admire that, uh, admire your honesty. So just be true to who you are, um, but do de- develop that brand and try to um, nurture that brand and nur- you know give back to others. Mm-hmm. I think the greatest gift that any athlete has is not the trophies they have, but what they've given to others. So, you know, authentically try to, um, you know, push out content that will help people mm-hmm. really say, you know, is this, when I, when I, you know, hit this tweet, uh, is it going to be something meaningful that's going to give someone else value or is it just selfish for me? And I would, that's always the filter I use when I'm um, posting anything or responding any, to any, anything, any comment is like, can I give this person value? Does anything I have lend itself to helping them be a better them? What's been at the core of the Dean Carnazes brand for the past 20 plus years? That hasn't changed. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I just am what I am. You know, I think that uh, I'm. I'm proud that if P, I'm not a false deity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hate to use this example, but you know, I'm, I'm not comparable to Lance in so many ways. But no one's ever going to find out that I have skeletons in the closet. Like when someone thinks of this guy as this guy, 
and they meet me, I'm this guy. Like, I don't want someone to come and say, oh, I met Dean Carnassus. He was kind of like a hero of mine and he's a, he's a dick. He's an asshole. Mm-hmm. I think they go, they walk away and say, wow, he's, he's everything I thought he was. He's mm-hmm. authentic. So that makes me very proud. And that's kind of been my brand, I think. Yeah. How has your brand evolved over the past couple decades? You know, I hate to use the old word, but I've gotten older. So a lot of people are saying, they're starting to say now, you know, wow, you know, for your age, you're really doing great. And I don't, I don't think I look 55. So a lot of people are still fooled by it, but, um, it, you know, a lot of, I'm noticing a lot of, um, older athletes are kind of gravitating toward, gravitating toward me and saying, you know, what, what are you doing? You know, what, what's your secrets? You know, how are you working out? Like really specifics. Um, I also have uh, a big base of female followers. So when you look at like face, like my social media, it's about half and half. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I never used to have so many female followers, but you know, the sport of running, as you know, the percentage of females in the sport has grown like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. How much attention do you pay to your social media following? Not too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say not too much. Um, but I take it very serious. Like I, 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 I take it seriously. Like I try to respond to everyone. It's maybe it's, it's a fault of mine. People are always like, God, I'm so amazed you actually wrote back to me, but I just feel like I owe it to people. I don't know. It's something, it's something in me. You know, my mom was a, a teacher, like a lifelong school teacher. And I think there's just that nurturing thing where if someone, you know, takes the time to write to me, I want to respond. Mm -hmm. Uh, Switching gears a little bit. You've had a long career. What are Mm -hmm. some of the biggest lessons that you've learned as an athlete and how have you applied those lessons to other areas of your life? You know, the one thing I've learned is to train your whole body. So, uh, to take yourself as an athlete very seriously. Like I look at myself as, uh, being the best animal I can be. So I take a 360 degree approach in everything I do. And that's, um, training, strength training, uh, diet, of course, sleep, of course, but interpersonal relationships, all of these things make you the best animal you can be. So I've really focused on on all of those things as I've gotten older. Um, you know, the other thing is that I've chosen longer races to excel at because uh, like you said, you know, your leg speed just goes out the door as you get older. And I found that I still have great endurance. My pain tolerance is higher and my ability to go through multiple nights without sleep is much better. So I'm choosing these longer races um, as a way to do, you know, what I can with what I got left. <laughs> and I mean, how have those lessons applied to, you know, your pursuits as a businessman, uh, to your home life as a husband and a, and a father, um, as well as a brand ambassador for a lot of the companies that you work for? Well, I mean, I hate, I hate to sound cliche, but I mean, I think anyone who does what we do, they learn how to, you know, deal with adversity, uh, how to overcome obstacles. Um, we learn there's no shortcuts to success. I mean, there's no path of least resistance. You've got to do your, your work to, you know, to earn your success. We learn these sort of things. Um, and I think every athlete is endowed with those sort of uh, valuable lessons from what they do. You talked about this 360 approach to training, um, which I wholeheartedly agree with. How much has that evolved over the years? Or is that something that you recognized early on, even in your younger days that, hey, it's more than just about running. Like I've got to be, as you said, like, you know, a better animal um, overall. Like I've got to maintain these good relationships. Um, You know, I'd argue that ultra runners especially are, you know, you're somewhat imbalanced in in some ways, but how do you 
you know, how do you keep everything in harmony? You know, it's funny. I learned this. I used to be a professional windsurfer, <laughs> which a lot of people don't know. So um, before I was a runner, I was a, a professional windsurfer. And in fact, the first time I appeared in an outside magazine, it was a windsurfing shot. It wasn't even a running shot. And uh, then I started getting into running. And when you windsurf, you need a lot of upper body strength, a lot of core strength, and a lot of leg strength. And I started running more, windsurfing less. And one time I got out of the shower and I looked at myself in the mirror. I'm like, Jesus, I, I'm kind of emaciated. I look a little gaunt, you know, almost like a runner. Jeez. And so I thought, you better start cross training. And so I started cross training primarily just with body weight kind of exercise, but also keeping up the cardio with running. And then I remember one time going windsurfing and, you, you know, you got to lift this stuff up onto your head to get to the water. And that's always kind of laborious. And I picked it up and just just like sprinted across the soft sand. And that used to destroy it. Like when I hit the water, I used to have lactic acid fatigue and everything. And I felt like, wow, that didn't even slow me down. And then I, it kind of hit me like, that's because I'm doing cardio. I never used to do cardio. So that's when I put together the whole package. Like this, you need to have um, both strength and, and endurance and speed. Mm. Have you ever had a coach? Many. Well, I've worked with Jason Coop. Okay. So, but I mean, these are not on like PRing on a marathon or anything. This is, you know, how to run 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. So we kind of looked at, and this was in 2006, we went to uh, CTS because they were in cycling and we thought, what's the closest model to what you're going to do? And it was the Tour de France, even though that's just 22 days and you're doing 50. So we, we went to Coop. He took a lot of lessons from the tour uh, and we applied those to, you know, running 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. Yeah. What were some of the biggest benefits of having a coach for that pursuit that you couldn't have addressed on your own? I think accountability more than anything. Um, you know, he's, he, he, he has some very um, interesting training techniques that he prescribes to, but a lot of them are specifically for racing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, kind of what he outlined for me, the plan of attack, you know, the plan to get ready. Uh, and then staying accountable to him, I think that was the biggest element. Yeah, and he was with me as well. As, as you, you know, you go and crew for a lot of your athletes, he was with me the whole time. Mm -hmm. Today, I mean, you're still running quite a bit. You're doing these these long races. How much, from a, a training standpoint, has the amount of running that you're doing changed over the past few years as you've gotten older? And have you shifted the balance of running to kind of like cross training and whole body workers always been pretty consistent for you? No, it's changed a lot. I mean, you know, one thing I did very early on is I got a standing desk. So for about, I would say 15 years, I've been standing up. Um, I also have a pull-up bar in my, I've got a home office, a pull-up bar, a sit-up mat, and I'm doing HIIT training throughout the course of the day. So I'm doing pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, uh, dips, burpees, and it's about a 12 to 15 minute routine of HIIT training. And you know all about HIIT training. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably cycling through five or six of those throughout the course of the day. So if, you know, in between writing or emails or whatever, I'll just bang out a set. And, and then I'll you know also run. I'm not doing as many, I'm not doubling up as much as I used to. Like I used to do a lot of, you know, running twice in one day. So I'm not doing that. Um, you know, the other thing I do, Mario, which uh, is, you know, for a coach, you're probably going to just shame me on this. But I mean... I just take my watch off. Uh, I download a great book. I've got like 500 uh, audiobooks on my playlist. And I'll just go for a, an eight, 10 hour run. Uh, if I feel like stopping for a latte, I'll stop. If I feel like jogging, I'll just jog. If I see a hill and I want to do a hill repeat, I'll do a hill repeat. But I'll just go running in the hills for, for eight hours. I'll say to myself, you're not coming home till dinner. 
and and just just go run. Yeah. Well, I yeah. can't really argue with that. I mean, it's <laughs> it's an enjoyable pursuit. I think that's yeah. got to be at the forefront of it. It's like if you're, I mean, yeah, we all have those workouts that we dread and, and we don't want to do, and it's important that we do those from time to time. But you know, who who am I to knock someone for an approach that's you know worked for them and gives them something to look forward to? And there are definitely benefits from that, even if they're not quantifiable, you know, on a watch. So I mean, I can but, I can get on board the, with that. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the the benefit to me is more spiritual. I mean, it's just it's. It's running for this, for the, for this, for the love of running, just the purity of running, which I think is kind of get, has gotten lost, especially when you start training for a specific race. I mean, it's all goal oriented. Um, you're stepping outside of, of the noise and commotion of, of human pursuit. I mean, it's mm. just, you're immersing in some, in a different reality almost. And I think that's very cleansing. We see a lot of runners when they get to your age, especially if they've been at it for a while, uh, taking performance out of it, they, or race results out of it, they start to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, and get more injuries and things like that. What advice would you give folks who are in your age range uh, or will be there soon to continue running strong for as long as possible? And what are you doing at 55? So it's a two-part question. What are you doing at 55 so that you can run strong for the next 10, 20, 30 years? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say anything I think that's shocking or new. I would say you got to cross-train. You really have to, and it can be just with body weight as I do. Um, you have to clean up your diet. <laughs> you know, you have to get more sleep. You have to back down on the stress levels. Um, you have to work on interpersonal relationships to make sure there's harmony in your life uh, to keep going without injury and to want to keep going and make it enjoyable. I'm doing all of those things. And I'm also training, like I said, I'm doing, I'm training harder than I've ever trained just to, to keep that same baseline of fitness. But because I am so visible, I really think it's uh, a responsibility of mine to present myself as healthy and fit because a lot of, you know, lay people see runners, especially ultra runners, they think of this haggard person that can barely hang on, it's got arthritis in both hips, is kind of leaning over, you know, struggling and, you know, smiling and grunting. And for me, I want to be strong and I want to present myself as, hey, this sport is healthy, you know, you can do these things and, and be in the shape of your life. What brings you the most fulfillment? You know, it again, I don't want to seem selfish or, or arrogant, but I mean, I have probably 10,000 letters and, and emails from people. And the very first line is, uh, you changed my life. I mean, that to me is so powerful and profound. I don't know what I've done, but when someone says that to you, you've changed my life. It just... It's, you can't quantify it. There's, you can't say, I'll give you a million dollars for that to go away. I mean, that's, that's priceless. So to me, more than anything is, is helping other people. Yeah. yeah. Is that what keeps you going? That's what keeps me going. If people look up to me and, you know, they don't want, I don't want to just be some guy that breaks down and isn't true to who I am. So I, I'm going to keep going. I love doing what I'm doing and I'm, I'm very dedicated and committed to it. And does that apply in races as much as it does outside of them? It does. It, you know, it, it is, again, it is humiliating, uh, you know, showing up not at the front of the pack, you know, uh, not at the back. And I don't want to say mid pack cause I, I don't want to discount what a mid pack runner does, but it is a bit humiliating showing up at those times. You know, people are still happy to see me, but I can see there's grumbling. Like, oh, Jesus guy, you know, he's going kind of slow, isn't he? So there, you know, it's kind of conflicted in that regard, but I'm not going to stop. I mean, um, you know, I really admire a lot of the the older runners that just keep going. And 
even Anne Trayson, I, I'm going to go back to Anne, you know, she, she was winning everything and then she wasn't kind of winning everything. And then she went dark. You did. She just went away. And I thought, wow, that's kind of too bad. And now she's back and she's, she's out there. She's running, she's racing, she's supporting the sport. So she's really uh, an inspiration to me in that regard. So in a lot of ways, you don't want to go away is sort of what you're saying. I, I want to be relevant. And I want to be here. Yeah. Okay. I want to dig into a few topics which may or may not be related. So we'll bounce over all over the place here a little bit. I know there's a quote that I've seen you reference many a time on social media and other places where it says, it's supposed to hurt like hell. <laughs> what does that mean to you? You know, that was another profound um, experience from a, a junior high school coach. So this is my seventh, eighth, eighth grade coach. And I actually, I used to be fast in the mile when I was in seventh grade. Like I ran a 458, uh, and so, which used to be fast, you know, back when I was a kid. And Still fast, I'd say at that age. It's pretty, yeah. So I, I actually, I think I won the state championship at Mount Sac. And I, I'll never forget standing around the finish. People were congratulating me. My coach kind of walked up and he, this is a man of few words. He was a military guy. And, and he's, he said to me, so how'd it go? And I said, oh, it was great. You know, I had, I, I, I had fun, you know, I enjoyed it. And he, you know, he said, if you had fun, you did it wrong. It's supposed to hurt like hell. And then he just walked away and I'm like, it's supposed to hurt like hell. <laughs> it's really supposed to hurt. I, I, you know, I left something on the course. Yeah. But obviously I would argue with ultra running too, as we talked about earlier, it's supposed to be fun. So how do you balance those two things? Like having fun and also having it hurt like hell. Is it situation dependent or how do you, how do you reconcile those two things? I think it's the definition of fun. I mean, it, it, it's bizarre to people. I mean, for you, for me, it's fun to run a marathon. <laughs> like I, I enjoy it. It's freaking fun. I've run hundreds of marathons. Most people wouldn't think of, you know, three hours of just torture and four hours or however long it takes as something fun. But to a runner, it is fun. So I, I think the two are very consistent. Yeah, struggling and fun is just the definition of fun. How do you talk about these things with your own two kids? Even I know they're not, they're certainly not pursuing ultra running, but how do you help them apply those lessons to their own life? You know, I've, I've found out very early with kids is when you tell them something, <laughs> they do the, just the exact opposite. So you, you lead and you set a, an example. So they see me and they see the way I conduct my life and I never tell them anything. I'm not one at um, dispensing advice. So I just try to lead with a good example and hopefully that'll uh, be a lesson enough. Yeah. Um, switching gears to the sport of ultra running right now, one that you've been involved with for a few decades now, what's exciting you about the sport today and the direction that it's heading, if anything? Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many elements. There's the, the competitive element. I mean, I, I just love watching, you know, these guys in the front and their times and their battles. So that's a great element. Um, you know, the diversity of races, we're seeing all kinds of races now. So 200 mile races, uh, stage races, um, you know, uh, just a lot of different variety. And to me that uh, variety is the spice of life. So the more and different sort of experiences um, that come up through ultra marathoning, I think the better. I mean, you know, you know, as well as I do, why do people choose races? It's largely the experience. So we're seeing a lot of diverse types of races emerge. Where do you see your involvement in that evolution? 
Well, you know, one thing we never touched on is the um, the North Face Endurance Challenge mm-hmm. and that series, which actually was my idea um, 11 years ago. And it's grown into an incredible event. You know, we have six um, endurance challenges across the country as well as globally. So um, the idea of a two-day running festival where there are uh, elite athletes uh, in the 50-mile race and there are people running their first ultra, running a 50K, um, there are people running their first uh, trail marathon, running a marathon. Uh, the next day, there's a half marathon, a 5K, and a 10K, and we're moshing all these people together. So, you know, the 5K people had no idea that a human can run 50 miles. And all of a sudden, they're looking at a guy in the podium that just ran 50 miles, you know, in some ridiculous time, in sub six hours kind of thing. And then the guy in the podium, you know, who's just been battling it out, and all his world is, you know, his whole universe is the guys he's racing against sees some kid and looking up at him like, wow, that was amazing. I didn't know this existed. And so I think that inspiration goes both ways and it feeds off each other. So it's a really good, I think, feeder, this North Face Endurance Challenge. And we've got big plans for the future for that race. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in addition to events like that, which have been great, and I'd argue have definitely helped increase participation in the sport, what else can be done to knock down some of those barriers to entry for you know, maybe younger folks who are like, oh, maybe I'll do an ultra like years from now or women who, for one reason or another, you know, don't want to do really long races um, on the trails or intimidated by it in some way. You know, I think you're doing a great job right now with this podcast. I think that spreading the word um, that it is, uh, can be a fun pursuit, you know, or when you struggle, you can struggle and it's still enjoyable at some level. Uh, I think that, you know, bringing more attention to ultra running as you're doing, as a lot of others are doing is a great thing. And I think that's going to help the sport. I appreciate that. Um, Bring it back to you for my final two questions. Personally, what would you like to achieve in the next five, 10 years as an athlete? You know, I'd love to go back to Western States when I turned 60 and set the the 16 over uh, record. Um, I'd love to do more of these sports diplomacy, um, envoys. Uh, so, you know, sport, I really believe in soft diplomacy and sports diplomacy. And I've seen the power of that, um, in going, you know, I was sent to Central Asia to run across <laughs> Uzbekistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, um, and met, you know, thousands of people and saw how running unites people globally. And these are not countries you think of a lot of runners, right? Uzbekistan, but there are a lot of runners and we all run together. So, um, doing more of the sports diplomacy um, envoys, um, you know, doing more diverse events, uh, you know, like maybe running across the country again, or I've got some other plans to do things that are, you know, outside of the the race um, arena and not trying to be, you know, set an FKT either. I mean, just go and do these enjoyable things, maybe invite other people to join me along the way. Are there any established races that you haven't done that are still on your bucket list or have you crossed them all off at this point? Oh no, there's a shitload left. I mean, in the back of my mind, I want to try Barclays. Who doesn't, right? Yeah. I mean, geez, I, I got to try that. So, I mean, there's, there's a laundry list of races um, I still want to do. Yeah. What are some of the other ones? Uh, there's, there's about 10 races in Greece, ultra marathons that are below the radar. I'd mm-hmm. love to do. I, you know, I'm 100% Greek and the, the running in Greece is just amazing. So, uh, I would like to go and do a couple more of the four desert challenges. So I, I've done the, um, you know, the four desert grand slam, if you will. Uh, I really like those are the 250 kilometer, uh, six day multi-stage races. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you ever, 
Sorry, I have more than two questions now. Yeah. That now that now well, that we now, go now through it, more, I got to do hard rock. Is <laughs> I'm starting to think of all these other races I got to yeah, do. Yeah, and I got more questions coming to mind. But has there ever been a, a race or an event or even a pursuit that wasn't necessarily uh, an established race that just totally destroyed you or knocked you down, uh, and you know you might have doubted your ability to get back up for a second? Yeah, I mean the first time uh, this is 2008, I signed up to run uh, a four deserts race. So. No one had ever run these four desert challenges. Uh, there's four of them in a single calendar year. So I thought maybe I can do it in a single calendar year. Uh, there's the Atacama Crossing. Uh, there's one in the Gobi Desert. There's one across the Sahara, which you know. And the final one is in Antarctica. And we, I set off for the six-day race in Atacama. Again, it's self-supported. So you got to carry everything you need for six days. Uh, you're given three liters of water. That's it. And, you know, that race was horrendous. I mean, it was over a hundred degrees during the day. Uh, it was, it was below freezing at night. You know, you're sleeping on the ground <laughs> in a tent on rocks and everything. So you're not sleeping at all. And it's the driest place on earth. So there's just zero humidity. Uh, you don't shower for six days. You know, you're eating dehydrated food. I mean, freeze dried food. Uh, that race I thought was going to do me in. Yeah. And I won. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Another seemingly out of left field question, but these just keep coming to mind as, as we go on here. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. You travel a lot. You train quite a bit. How important has your family's support been, your wife, Julie, you know, your two children been, you know, in your pursuit of, of ultra running, um, and just being an ambassador for the sport? Because, I mean, you're, you're all over the place, like, you know, all of the time. So, you know, how important to you personally has their support been? It's, it's been tremendous. I mean, you, like you said, I've run on all seven continents twice now. So I've spent up to 250 days a year on the road, which is a long time to be gone as a dad. But um, I don't think it's the, the quantity of time you spend with someone, it's the quality. So I'm really, really close with my family. I mean, we talked about the importance of interpersonal relationships. And I think it's because it's authentic love. Even though I'm not there all the time, when I am there, we put away our phones, we just have fun. We go and do fun things. We enjoy each other. And, and then I leave. So again, I think it's, it's, it's quality, not quantity. And the quality of my relationship has been really, really tight with my family. Yeah. And building off of that, what advice would you give to other, you know, ultra runners who, you know, their spouse may not be an ultra runner, their kids may not, you know, understand it, um, but they obviously want to you know, they want to pursue maybe a hundred mile race or, you know, they want to better their times, you know, in a, in a certain event. And it's like a big commitment. Like what would, you know, what would you pass along to, to those folks? Well, you're right. I mean, ultra running is very polarizing. I've seen, um, relationships brought tighter and closer and I've seen relationships blown to smithereens as you have as well. I mean, when, a, when one partner or the other gets into ultra running, it's kind of all consuming. So what I would say is make sacrifices. I mean, get up early in the morning, sacrifice your own sleep so that you're there for the family, you know, be there for breakfast with the kids, get them to school. So I'd say do that. I would also say when you travel to an event, invite them. And not only that, splurge. Just say, I, you know what, I need a budget. Like I'm going to set aside a budget, get a nice place to stay, plan a lot of activities for the kids, not just for you and your race. So don't just base it on you and your race. Uh, do a lot of other things that, um, so the whole experience is enjoyable. So they're coming home with you and, and instead of saying, oh God, you know, 
mom or dad tortured me this weekend. I hate it. I hate going to these events. They're like, wow, you know, when's your next race? Tying this all together, what's the legacy that you hope to leave on the sport? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm worthy of a legacy. Uh, well, what impact do you hope to leave? Lasting impact. I just, think, you know, I think just that helps define that, the that, word legacy. That really love to run. I mean, when I look at other runners, I don't know if there's anyone that loves to run as much as I love to run. I don't know what it is. I just love it. I mean, I, I see a lot of guys I admire and I think, well, they'd love to race, you know, and they, but I'm not sure they just love to go running. I mean, I just love to throw a credit card and my cell phone in a backpack and just go run up to, to Napa Valley all night on Friday. I just love it. I don't know why, but just a guy who really loved to run. Yeah. That's a good place to leave it. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Run here next time. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. And that's a wrap on this week's show. Many thanks to this episode's sponsor, the Anthem Richmond Marathon, which takes place in Richmond, Virginia on November 10th. If you're looking for a marathon or even a half, maybe an 8K, Richmond provides phenomenal course support, great fall weather, and supportive spectators. When you run Richmond, you get it all. Let me tell you a little bit about the marathon. It features a mostly flat, fast course. It's a top 20 Boston qualifier, and it ends with a beautiful downhill riverfront finish. Runner's World called it one of America's friendliest marathons. Actually, no, they called it America's friendliest marathon. It is the best. What's not to love about it? So start planning your trip today. Use the discount code MORNINGSHAKEOUT. That's all one word, all lowercase letters, to save $10 on your registration fee. Best part, I will be there running the half marathon and hosting all kinds of other fun events throughout the weekend. There's going to be an actual morning shakeout run, and I'd love to see you there and share some miles with you. So a big thank you to Richmond, the Anthem Richmond Marathon, for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. And a big thanks to all of you who are listening into this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to support the show, easiest thing you can do is subscribe to the Morning Shakeout on Apple Podcasts, wherever you consume your audio content, and leave a rating and a review. Only takes a minute, but it will help other listeners discover the show, and it makes a big difference. Um, you can also support my work directly on Patreon by going to themorningshakeout.com slash support. Thank you to all of you who have already done so. It means a lot to me. And finally, a shout out to my audio engineer, John Isaac of bearsrecords.com, who takes care of all of my editing needs and helps this show sound as good as it does. Dude is the man. He saves me a lot of time and hassle. So thank you, John. All right, that's all I've got for now. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and thank you for listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast.